0: Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning, it's your morning espresso. If you're watching live, it's Wednesday the 27th of January 2021 and again, if you're watching live, you can always um, select the direct translations that are happening simultaneously by selecting the button below or sending us your questions on the Q&A uh, below as well. So a couple of options if you're if you're joining us live this morning. Now, before we start, I thought uh, with a break to, to uh, tradition, I would bring my own slide today and... Um, What it was, was last week we had uh, Jeremy Adagnos from uh, CBRE Clarion, and we were talking about listed infrastructure. Now, of course, with uh, Joe Biden taking over as president of the United States, there's going to be a big push uh, in the infrastructure space. And we were talking about the valuation gap between the private markets and the public markets. Now, that was on Wednesday last week and literally the next day I received an email and I just wanted to show this slide here, Um, Yeah, so you can see it here. This is a a company called called Broadridge and they do a lot of research on the asset management uh, business, uh, not just in Europe, but globally. And what was interesting was they're showing here that private debt and infrastructure were the fastest growing strategies in the world (laughs) Um, with 50% more flows than private equity and real estate. So I just wanted to draw your attention to this. Um, There is a wall of money hitting this space and I just think that you should be aware of that. Now, if you missed last week's recording, you can always go and see it again uh, that will be available on our stay alert microsite and you'll find that um, at nordia.lu so do go back and have a look at that if that's of interest right that was it for my introduction today uh, now we're going to go back to our normal format and join sebastian uh, sebastian gali is our senior macro strategist and i hope that he's here this morning to join us sebastian i'm here Hey, hi, how are you?
1: Very good, very good. It's snowy here in Luxembourg.
0: It's snowy, okay. Good, well, uh, I'm glad winter's here. Uh, I, I quite like the snow, it sort of brightens everything up a bit. It does, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So today I wanted to ask you about the US and China. And uh, as I already mentioned, obviously we have a, a new president. Uh, I was just wondering what your take is on this in terms of you know, how are the US now gonna react and what's their strategy gonna be towards the Chinese?
1: Well, it's an interesting uh, conundrum. If we focus on the first slide, what do, you, what do we have in terms of the situation is that uh, Pompeo, uh, before he left, uh, burnt a few bridges with the Chinese And now the normal reaction is a retaliation by the Chinese, but it is not the same administration. So what they have done instead is focus on the outgoing administration by penalizing uh, what you could call ultra hawks or anti-Chinese elements within the previous uh, government. The question now is what is the new administration going to do and it's a difficult thing. What they've promised is to build a coalition Uh, They don't want to go it alone. They want to go it with Europeans. And if you go with Europeans, then the Europeans are also very engaged with the Chinese. So it's a relationship of give and take. And I think that's what we're heading for, which I think is quite reassuring. The second element they'll be very focused on is, of course, on currencies, any sense of manipulation. And the uh, previous administration was actually very easy on the Chinese, contrary to what they pretended. Uh, And then this administration probably will be much uh, tougher. The last thing and the most important thing is to reform the US economy. And I think that's a fundamental business relative to China but relative to what is needed for the US economy to retrain people, uh, protect intellectual property and take uh, many different steps to build back America. If we focus on the next slide, what we will see is the reaction from the Chinese government. And what they will try to do is try to de escalate the situation and try to mitigate some of the decisions which have been taken by Pompeo. Now, they're not sure what they can achieve. They they have seen it, for example, in the case of Taiwan, uh, that the Americans uh, have were challenged and uh, have kept uh, the challenge. So uh, old style type of relationships. Um, but it doesn't mean that in the next few weeks, they can't go and proceed in a more normal pattern. It also means that they will finished by completely abandoning the trade deal or phase one deal, uh, so called with uh, the previous administration and probably still import more but different things from the United States uh, and in moderate amounts and try to eke out some goodwill from the Americans. So we are in a process of de-escalation on the Chinese side, most likely not immediately but eventually, and as well as on the American side to try to do business uh, and and try to temper this conflict between or uh, disagreement, if you want to call it, between China and the United States.
0: I guess it's a balancing act, isn't it? Because you've got China one side You've got the US, and like you mentioned before, you have sort of Europe sat in the middle and, and the Silk Road, which sort of passes up through Europe. There's gonna be a balancing act, isn't it? between Between all parties, actually, I guess.
1: Yeah. And even if you look at this uh, old style um, Silk Road, it's, it's quite fascinating because Europeans have done similar things in the past. And then the Chinese come in and, and build the, the same pattern and the same behavior. So in essence, they're repeating the what the Europeans have done to Africa in, in the past. Now they're also maxed out a little bit on the Silk Road and uh, they're trying to find a, a way ahead. And that is hopefully through less tension. Good.
0: Well, uh, I think that was that was it for this morning, um, but we've got the key takeaways as usual. So uh, let's pull up that slide. So here we go. So first of all, um, the White House is highly unlikely to want to go down an outright confrontation route. So that means, you know, more of a coalition uh, between uh, US and, and China. and. Um, And then, obviously, there's these various points, including the devaluation that you just just mentioned there. But equally, China is also likely to back down a little bit as well. Um, And hopefully, this will be a a relief for for risky assets.
1: And you can imagine, for example, that over long term, it'll be easier for a bank like a JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs to do business in China and continue to expand their footprints. services, uh, become more performant, um, have better access in uh, in China, so it it should be a good story.
0: So we'll follow that one as things develop. Thank you very much, Sebastian, for joining us this morning. And we will now move into the main section of today's session. And we are joined this morning by Henrik Stiller, who is the portfolio manager of our various European covered bond strategies. So good morning, Henrik, are you there? Good morning, Paul, I'm here. Hi, you, you look like you're on a ship there with a, I can see the yeah. portal there. Is that, yeah, is that it right? Is. It's not a
2: real <laughs> ship, but uh, I think the design is uh, supposed to make it look like a ship. That's <laughs> it's a good ship stiller.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's kick this off because uh, last year was obviously a very tricky year. Uh, For everyone, actually, uh, but obviously in the fixed income markets uh, as well. So I just wondered if you could start off by telling us, you know, how did the covered bond as an asset class? How did covered bonds uh, cope in the situation we found ourselves in? And, um, you know, maybe what were the main drivers behind the market uh,
2: over the last 12 months? Yeah, certainly. Uh, And I mean... The whole year of 2020 has been a a strong year for the cover bond asset class. Um, As you can see on on the graph here, uh, we have some some various asset classes here high yield, uh, the broader, the high yield, the red line, the broader corporate market, the dark blue line, and the government bond market, the green line, and then the the cover bond market, uh, the the gray line. I mean, all, all markets, they sold off uh, at the outbreak of the Corona crisis, and then uh, they have gradually been coming back throughout the year. And And for the covered bond market, we are back to the same levels where we were prior to the crisis, while uh, especially high yield still has some, uh, some way to go before we are back at the same levels. And uh, you can say for, for the covered bond market, uh, there are, I, mean, I think maybe two important things that uh, is important to, to say when it comes to this crisis. and uh, those makes this crisis quite different for the covered bond market compared to the sovereign debt crisis in, in 2012 or the financial crisis in, in 2008. And first of all, you can say that covered bonds as an asset class are today, probably safer than what they ever have been. So so cover bonds are protected much more today in various regulations in Europe, but around the world, basically, uh, which makes it uh, more difficult for an investor in a cover bond to to have losses on their investments today compared to to 10 years ago, uh, when we had the financial crisis. And, and that's one of the reasons why why cover bonds, they have recovered uh, very strongly after the initial sell-off in this crisis.
0: And the second uh, Henrik, thing- Hen- Henrik, just a minute, so, because you know, we always talk about this asset class being very, very safe. And you know over 200 years, we've never had a credit event. Uh, there's never been a default. So it's even safer. How comes it's even safer? I mean, how can you get safer than safe? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's always a, a scale, but I think the, the, the first thing is that cover bonds are not bail-inable in the new BRRD regulation in Europe. So it's not, it's not possible to force investors in cover bonds to take losses. This was actually possible prior to 2016, but it never happened anyway. But, but now it's, it's not even possible. And, and that's, of course, something that investors in cover bonds, they recognize and, and, and price them accordingly. And, and then the, the second thing about this crisis that uh, makes covered bonds uh, strong relative to the broader credit markets, I think, is that this crisis, it doesn't have its roots in the banking industry or in the financial industry. It has its roots uh, in, in completely other areas. And if you look at the broader credit markets or, or the broader economy, what, what really makes this crisis stick out is that we have sectors that are hurt enormously in this crisis. If you look at tourism, for example, airlines and, and so on. And then we have also sectors that are doing very well in this crisis. Uh, I mean, all the online uh, all online business, for example, but also, uh, I mean, a lot of um, uh, s- smaller businesses that are active in uh, yeah, in the carpenting, for example, it is uh, they are also they also have a lot a uh, lot of work. Building firms uh, that sell building materials and so on are also doing very well. So and and the banking industry is also so far on the side uh, that is doing quite well. So so. And, and it's only banks that issue covered bonds. So, so covered bonds are not at the center uh, of this crisis. It's, it's other industries. And the other yeah. industries, they make up some part of the broader credit markets, while they don't make up any part at all of the covered bond market. So, so, so I think that also explains why the covered bond market has recovered much faster than the broader credit markets in, in this crisis. Yeah. And if, if we look a little at the, the initial sell-off in, in March there at the outbreak of the Corona crisis that we also had in cover bonds, this was uh, I mean mainly driven by technical factors and not really credit concerns regarding the cover bonds, but just more the fact that uh, investors they needed liquidity at the peak of the crisis. And this always hurt uh, the most liquid asset classes the most, and that's why Cover bonds widened briefly in spreads there uh, at the outbreak of the crisis.
0: Mm. But we've seen this time and again, haven't we? Whenever you see those spreads widening out, you know they're going to come back sooner or later. And it's time to hold, actually, and, and not panic. And the drawdowns, of course, compared to other fixed income instruments are minimal. Um, but, yeah, we've just seen it again and again. You, you mean revert, don't you, in this asset class?
2: Yeah, that's one of the strong features that we have in the asset class, that uh, uh, the, the pull-to-par effect, it kicks in uh, rather fast, much faster than in other asset classes, uh, since you don't really have the default risk.
0: Exactly. So, Henrik, uh, all the portfolio managers, they love to show how brilliant they are. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a leading question. Um, what was your best investment last year? You know, let's
2: shine a light on, on that. Yeah, I think the best investment was really that we we used the opportunities that came in the strongest part of the covered bond markets uh, during 2020, uh, especially right after the outbreak of the corona crisis, where we had actually a very strong widening in the strongest covered bond markets. and, And you can see it here on the chart, because typically... In a crisis, the the weakest cover bonds, they are underperforming the most, and the strongest ones are the most resilient. But in this crisis, it was actually the other way around, with the Canadian cover bond market underperforming the most. And as you can see here, Canadian cover bonds, uh, they widened in spread almost 50 basis points, and that's a huge widening for a triple A-rated cover bond from double A-rated banks from a triple A-rated country. You can almost not find anything safer to invest in, in the fixed income universe, but despite that, you had this very strong widening, and at the same time, uh, French cover bonds, they, they widen only half as much. Uh, and the right. and, uh, Canadian cover bonds even widened more than Italy. And and that's not because investors suddenly, they were very c- much more comfortable uh, regarding Italian cover bonds than Canadian cover bonds. But instead, these technical factors that the, I said before, they were driving the widening and, and not credit concerns.
0: And so what te- were th-
2: yeah, what were those technical factors then? Yeah, the technical factors, uh, they, they were both on the supply and demand side. And if we start on the demand side, uh, the ECB, they stepped up the QE program very significantly. At, at the beginning of this crisis, they purchased four times as much cover bonds uh, when the corona crisis uh, started. And this, of course, supported the European cover bond markets enormously, but not the Canadian cover bond market, because the ECB, they don't buy uh, cover bonds uh, from canada right and in addition to that we also had we always we had a strong domestic investor base in cover bonds in europe especially in the larger countries in germany france and scandinavia but this domestic investor base in canada it, uh, to the extent that it's there they buy canadian cover bonds in domestic currency in, in canadian dollars they don't buy the ones in euros so you didn't have this support either for the Canadian cover bond market in, in euro. Uh-huh. And then on the supply side, the ECB, they already at the start of this crisis had very strong liquidity facilities in place for the European banking system. So when the European banks, they needed liquidity, they could just turn to the ECB and post some collateral and they got the liquidity they needed from the ECB. They didn't have to sell any bonds in the markets. In Canada, uh, the, the, the Canadian central bank did not have such a liquidity facility in place when the crisis started. So the Canadian banks, they faced the same liquidity issues as European banks and, and banks all over the world faced, but they had to find this liquidity in the financial markets. And the cheapest way to, to get this liquidity in was to issue cover bonds, since cover bonds they trade at the tightest spreads. So so the Canadian banks, they issued cover bonds in all currencies, pretty much, where where they have been active. So they issued cover bonds in euros, in in US dollar, in Australian dollar, in in British pound. So they flooded the the market with cover bonds during a a few weeks in the end of March, beginning of April. And this, together with non-existent QE buying, caused this very strong widening in Canada. And this is probably the, yeah, the, the, yeah, the the allocation that I think uh, was the best one we did last year, that we could increase the exposure very significantly in, uh, in Canada, but also in the other AAA-rated non-European markets like Australia, for example, where, where we had similar developments. Uh, so we went from almost zero exposure to around 15 exposure to, to this part of the covered bond market and then when the crisis uh, passed uh, actually the canadian central bank introduced in uh, yeah actually the 19th of april uh, similar liquidity facilities as uh, the ecb had in europe uh, so then the canadian banks could get liquidity from the central bank and then they didn't have to issue any cover bonds any longer in the market and then spreads also started to tighten back and uh, yeah, and then they gradually came back, and now they are back at the yeah the same levels as where we were prior to the crisis. So basically flat to, to France, for example. Okay. So we've been
0: looking in the rearview mirror, um, but let's look ahead and look down the road. Um, yeah. You know, we're right at the beginning of of 2021 here. So I was just wondering what can investors expect in in your asset class, and I. I I say your asset class quite deliberately because uh, you own this space for me. I mean, uh, you are Mr. European Covered Bond. So what can we expect from from your market this year?
2: First of all, I think you should not expect too much. And that's (laughs) actually a very good starting point uh, because we, we expect that the volatility in the asset class will stay low throughout this year so spreads they will uh, uh, it might be that we'll, they will tighten a little bit but uh, not much and they will definitely not widen and i think that's the uh, the good starting point that you have very very low risk of any spread widening in the cover bond asset class to to start with this year the ecb they will continue to to buy a lot of cover bonds and this will protect the asset class from widening and at the same time the banks, they they can continue to fund themselves cheaper directly through the ECB, so they don't need to issue that much cover bonds in the market. So supply will stay low, but the demand will uh, will still be there, both from the ECB, but also from from private investors that still find cover bonds quite attractive. So so, so this is the starting point that uh, volatility will stay low in the asset class. And then, of course, uh, as always, we hope to be able to to add uh, some alpha to this low volatility that we have in the asset class, because the alpha opportunities we we still see there, and uh, this is not something that we expect will be different this year compared to to to, to the last year. So we still have the the drivers between the various covered bond markets uh, where we expect to to see some opportunities. The, the drivers between the uh, covered bond markets in various currencies, for example, between various uh, jurisdictions and, uh, and, and so on.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question. Can you generate positive returns in, in that kind of environment that you're describing? Um, because presumably European cover bonds are also affected by sort of negative interest rates, or, or are
2: they? Yeah, I mean, you have a large part of the, the covered bond market uh, the, is trading at negative yields. But it's not always the case that just because the yield is minus 30 it doesn't mean that the return on this bond will be minus 30 after 12 months. Because if you have uh, a spread tightening on that particular bond, it might be that you still uh, end up with a positive return. And it's uh, these mispricings between uh, the various capital bond markets, uh, between currencies uh, and between... Uh, various issues that we expect to to be able to take advantage of also in uh, in 2021 and uh, as i said before also when we spoke a little about uh, 2020 when we had this huge supply and demand drivers this is something that we also expect uh, will be a driver for the market this year Uh, the canadian banks for example their their access to central bank funding, it already stopped in October last year. So in Canada, we expect the banks to to come to the market and issue cover bonds. Uh, we expect actually Canada to be the, the largest net issuer of cover bonds in the world in, in 2021. Uh, and there also, you don't have the ECB buying. So there you can still have some new issue premiums and uh, also some spread behavior that... Uh, Comes and goes. It doesn't mean that the spread will probably not be much different 12 months from now than what what it is today, but we can still have some interesting development uh, during the year. Okay, so the next question, Henrik,
0: before you you answer, just uh, think about this because we may have some other European cover bond fund managers watching this because uh, you're so far ahead of the pack in terms of your performance and your returns. They might be trying to find out, you know, what's the secret to your success? But I'm going to ask the question anyway. Uh, so without giving too much away, where do you see the best opportunities
2: in the market right now? Uh, I mean, first of all, the Danish cover bond markets. Uh, in the Danish cover bond market, we still see a lot of uh, opportunities. And uh, this is something that probably will stay that way throughout the year. And and the reason for this partly is that, the, the Danish cover bond market is not included in any QE program. The ECB is, of course, not buy, buying Danish cover bonds, but the Danish central bank is not buying Danish cover bonds either. So, so you have a market that uh, has a lot of supply, and at the same time, you don't have the QE buying. And just this just parks the D- Danish cover bond market, at the higher yield to start with compared to uh, to the other European cover uh, bond markets. So yeah. so the pickup in the Danish cover bond market is quite attractive to, to start with and then in addition to that you also have the, the drivers of the Danish cover bond markets that are not correlated to the euro market. So uh the, even though we have a nice pickup to start with this pickup is likely to to vary throughout the year and there there is also that's also something that we expect to be able to uh, to take advantage of in the fund mm-hmm. and then uh, number 2 is that uh, we also see quite a lot of value in the the eastern european cover bond countries or i mean former eastern and eastern and central european countries as i like to call them Uh, So, countries like Poland, uh, Slovakia, Czech Republic, the Baltic states, uh, there the cover bonds trade with a quite uh, significant pickup relative to jurisdictions in Western Europe. And it's not because the countries, they are weaker, the countries are actually stronger. If you look at debt-to-GDP ratios, these Eastern European countries look much better than uh, Southern Europe, for example they are also net receivers of eu support to to a very large extent so a lot of the the, the recovery packages that uh, will be launched this year from the eu they they will, the money will be sent to to eastern europe mm-hmm. and then we also have the the economies in eastern europe they are not hurt to the same extent by this crisis because for example Many of the sectors that are hit the most in this crisis like tourism that's not a large part of the economy in for example uh, the Baltic countries there are not many people that go to vacation to Estonia there are much more more people that go on vacation to Spain or Italy yeah. <laughs> so, so this is also something that helps these countries relative to some especially to, to the southern European uh, countries. Uh, and then if we look at the banks themselves they Typically, they are more simple than banks in Western Europe because they are not not large investment banks. So the headline risk and also the ESG risk is lower in general on on banks in Eastern Europe compared to to Western Europe. Uh, They mostly do mortgage business, so it's not a complicated business. It's easy to analyze and also the, the, the risks, they are quite limited and they are also well known. Uh, for us as uh, investors so in general the eastern european countries is also something where we where we see some opportunities
0: so there seems to be a theme here about you know looking outside of the european space to issuers elsewhere in the world just one thing perhaps to point out you know why is it why is it that that you canada new zealand australia are issuing european cover bonds could you just maybe explain that quickly before we wrap up today
2: yeah I think first of all because the the bond investors they are mainly in Europe and if so so if you want to sell covered bonds you you need to do it in euros because otherwise you will just miss uh, a lot of investors so so the the, the, the covered bond investors in domestic currency or or domestic investors, for that part, uh, they are not that many in, in these countries. so they need to turn to Europe if they want to to fund mortgages through a couple bonds. And of course the, the market is huge, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean if you just if you take just a market like Japan, uh, it has huge potential. It, it can certainly be uh, it could be in top ten within the next five years in terms of cover bond issuance, given. Uh, Uh, how much mortgages uh, that they have in Japan and they are today funded through other instruments especially RMBSs that are more expensive for them to use. So an exciting uh, space to be in and and it
0: sounds like uh, it's going to be continue to be interesting for the the years to come so a positive note to, to finish on there. Perhaps now we go to our key takeaways. So we have a slide as usual. I'm gonna ask you at the end if there's anything you'd like to add, but of course you can interrupt me as well, if you wish uh, in the meantime. But um, first of all, we've seen this incredible uh, resilience to market sell-offs. It's nothing surprising perhaps to those that are familiar with the asset class, but it's just interesting to see in that scenario where we have a pandemic rather than like you were saying, banking crisis or, uh, other kinds of crises. We're constructive uh, in terms of the outlook for the asset class as a whole. Um, and we talked about these technical expectations as well. And, you know, as we just said at the end there, uh, a very solid allocation. Um, we think that there are attractive opportunities for um, active managers in this space. You really do need an active manager uh, in order to, to squeeze out the alpha uh, from, from the market and um you know this is this is going to be key in in terms of you know facing these low uh, yields that we're seeing right now and look to continue for the foreseeable future that's it from me Henrik would you like to add anything before we we leave you today
2: yeah, we can maybe just finish off with the pandemic itself because that will of course be an important driver for uh, the world economy in, in 2021 and yeah. For the covered bond market, I think uh, it's important to to note that it's. Pro- I mean, the biggest threat when it comes to the pandemic is probably if we would come out of it too fast, uh, and by that I mean that if the economy would rebound uh, too fast because then you you will start to to the market will start to be concerned to be concerned about tapering from the central banks. And I think mm. this is a bigger threat to the cover bond markets than if we go in the other direction. So, so if the pandemic would uh, turn out to be worse than it is right now, if the rebound will be too slow, that's typically not uh, a scenario where, cover bonds will have uh, difficulties, because that will only mean more central bank stimulants. So, so, so and that's probably uh, the other way around compared to, to the equity markets, for example. So, so um, if the pandemic turns out to be worse than uh, expected, then that's probably only positive for, for cover bonds. <laughs> what do you want me to say? No, not, I, I mean, I'm not, it's not what we are wishing for, no. but uh, <laughs> I still think that the, the asset class has these features that are a bit uh, uh, different. So, so, so uh, I think we should just avoid that things they are getting too good too quickly too quickly Probably, yeah <laughs> okay if you are so, a cover bond investor so, so henrik you're
0: praying for a slow recovery <laughs> gently easing out of this <laughs> okay and typically things
2: they are best when they are recovering gently and and slowly so uh, yeah with low volatility uh, well let's see
0: let's see how things uh, play out from from here but um Thank you again for joining us this morning. And um, it's always nice to talk to you. So I look forward to the next time. Thank you, Paul. As mentioned right at the beginning, we have our Stay Alert microsite. You'll find that at nordia.lu. And there you have all of the previous interviews we've done. We've put them into podcast versions. Um, we also have Q&As there. So plenty to look at. And also our new website, Management allwrittentogether.com. Go there and you'll find a bunch of other good stuff. That's it. I'll see you in the next update.